0: Politics Uncensored with Ali Malani on FUBAR Radio.
1: Welcome back everybody to this week's edition of Politics Uncensored. We are live on FUBAR Radio and this week I am joined by the brilliant Matilda Melanson, freelance journalist who specialises on immigration, politics and human rights. She's reported for The Guardian, The Independent, The New Statesman, The Financial Times and was the co-presenter of an award-winning podcast, Media Storm, which will be returning for a third season this May. Uh, Matilda's also been a guest presenter on The Guilty Feminist. Matilda, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Politics Uncensored.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great
0: to be here.
1: We have a very interesting show today with some exciting guests but a little bit depressing we'll talk about how low politics can get um over the last couple of weeks we have seen everything from suela braverman doing suela braverman things and now we have <laughs> labor even going um as low as the Conservatives. so the first story we're going to talk about today is suela braverman and her comments around grooming gangs if you will have seen on sophie ridge uh, Suela was talking about um, grooming at gangs and specifically commented um, and pointed finger at British Pakistanis, which is a very, very common racist stereotype. Uh, Matilda, did you get a chance to have a look at that uh, interview and see the, the fallout from that?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I did. And I think it's getting pretty terrifying, the willingness with which this government is is happy to fire up racial hatred in order to cling on to power and this is just another example of that but maybe the, the more disturbing thing is that this isn't just flippant irresponsibility this is a calculated tried and tested strategy they've clearly decided that it is politically intelligent for them to go out and and stir up these sentiments based on very little evidence and the sad thing is that this isn't a reflection of, of Suella Braverman actually wanting to take serious action about sexual assault and child molestation. Because if we look at the policy history, this government hasn't been doing that effectively at all. But, but politics today apparently is nothing to do with policy. It's about packaging. It's about positioning. And that's what this government is trying to do.
1: Yeah, it seems like, look, I think over the last year specifically... The conservatives have obviously decided to me we're not going to win the policy debate. So it's about can we drag labor into a fight in the gutter because we'll beat them. We'll go further than they're willing to go. Mm. Um, and can we talk about things like it all seems to be culture wars and racism, really, because we've seen them attack trans people, for example. We've now seen them yeah. talking about um, we've seen the stuff around the boats, which has been horrific, attacking the most vulnerable people, refugees uh, who are traveling um, across um, the the seat to to, to get here for a a better life and for safety. And now they are delving into what is one of the most common racist conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, Muslims, British, Pakistanis specifically, are grooming, uh, raping and um, assaulting young white women.
2: Yeah, you said it there with conspiracy theories. That's something that really strikes me is these tactics have, have long been used and still are used by by extremists on the fringes of politics, by far right, even far left groups to, to actively target vulnerable, dissatisfied people and recruit them to extremist causes. This, this tactic of, of demonizing in a very conspiratorial way, often the most marginalized groups. And what's scary is now that we're seeing that fringe practice really come into the mainstream and really shape what, what our center politics looks like. And, and the groups you've mentioned, you said trans people, refugees and, and Pakistani men in this instance. It's, it's the same rhetoric happening again and again. It's labeling these groups as threats to our women, our children pedophiles is really just a trope and these are exactly the tactics used by far right recruiters and now we are seeing them enter mainstream politics
1: yeah and look they they have real world impacts that's what that's predominantly what worries me we i mean <clears throat> there isn't one day where i don't tweet something or put something out and i don't get the grooming gangs stuff underneath it mm. in the general islamophobia um that exists in our politics but we're also now seeing People being attacked on the way home from mosques again predominantly South Asian um, people being attacked um, so on a few occasions killed on on the way home from mosques uh, particularly during Ramadan we've also seen two MPs murdered in the last in the last few years um, uh, with the rise of political violence so surely these politicians whether it's Braverman whether it's Starmer whoever it is and we've had Boris and Trump who really laid the ground for this they know that this all has real-world impacts.
2: Mm. Yeah, they should. They should know. Uh, I mean, when you when you have a hyper-polarized dialogue, it leads to a hyper-polarized society. Our identities are being formed less based on, you know. Ultimately, we we we're, we're a community. We're a shared community. We all really want the same things when it comes to issues like protecting children from harm. But we're being forced to take camps based on little more than tribalism, and I think that. The media has has a lot of responsibility in this respect because it's it's the wildest, most unfounded or most controversial claims that get the most traction with the media. It's not the stories about people walking home from mosques and getting attacked. I don't see that coverage, but I, I see a lot of amplification of stories um, like, you know, the, the grooming gang, the very high profile grooming gangs um, news that ha- has happened in the past that has implicated certain ethnic groups, even though the data shows that these ethnic groups are not disproportionately mm. represented that, um, among offenders. But that's the thing, offenders.
1: isn't it? Even in, I think even in the Sophie Ridge interview, I think it was Sophie Ridge, where Swala Braverman made these comments, that Sophie told her that the data suggests that it's not predominantly mm. South Asians, Pakistani men that are committing these crimes. It's people from white backgrounds. The, the data suggests the predominant numbers are from white backgrounds. She completely skirted over that and went straight back to Pakistan. It doesn't
2: matter. It's just not what gets traction in the way that our media works today, the way that social media works today, the way that politics is shaping all of that. It's Mm -hmm. just not what gets traction. You know, the lie spreads so much more easily than the truth. And and once it's out there, it's hard to come back.
1: And so the strategy seems to be, let's pull Labour down into the gutter and we'll beat them (laughs) because we'll go further than they're willing to go.
2: Maybe a more successful strategy than their strategy on actually tackling
1: sexual assault. Doing things is out of the question. Um, So I, I understand from an intellectual, not a moral or emotional perspective, but an intellectual perspective... I guess what the conservatives are doing, saying we'll go into the gutter and Labour won't follow us there. But this week, Labour said, hold my beer. <laughs> they, put, they put out an ad, and I'm going to read it verbatim because I could not believe that this was written, drawn up, approved, and posted by the Labour Party. It says, do you think... Sec- I, I'm going to start that again. Do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. Reactions.
2: Look, the the poster is is pointing to a very real problem that exists in society, and it's saying, "Oh, hey, the reason this problem exists is because Tories are paedophiles. It's because Rishi Sunak is a sympathiser with child molesters." Like this, what this does is just degrade our intelligence as a society. Once you step down to that level, of of speaking to the population as if we're 5 year olds having tantrums it's then really hard to have the necessary adult conversation about why is this policy not working because it isn't about the person rishi sunak thinking that that child molestation is okay. It's about the policy. And I'm not, you know, for me, the issue is, and I've I've seen commentators saying, oh, it's not okay for an ag campaign to hold Rishi Sunak personally accountable for policy that's been in place since before he's prime minister. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, you know, leaders have, are in the position to make changes and, and they have to own accountability for these problems. But that's very different to saying that he... He, you know, he sympathises with child molesters. I mean, that's just cheap.
1: That's the question, isn't it? Because I think what Labour have been saying is they're holding the Conservatives to account on their record with criminal convictions. The problem is that's not what the ad says. No. The ad doesn't say that the Conservatives have allowed people who have been convicted of sexual uh, sexually assaulting children to go free yeah. or um, criticising the conviction rates. The ad very specifically said that Rishi Sunak does not think that... Adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison,
2: yeah, and labor on this paper's trying to have their cake and eat it too because they're they're saying no no, you know this is a this is a needed campaign because it it holds Politicians personally accountable. They're saying, "Oh, we're not descending to that level of rhetoric." But you look at the ad, and you are descending. They have literally played into this, you know, this tribalist, populist polit- political game that the Tories have started. They're leaning in, and then they're sitting at, at the mic saying, "No, no, this is an adult uh, criticism. This is a viable criticism." It's just like, "No, no, no." Like. <laughs> You, you've
1: fallen. And the question I think is specifically around the racial elements of this ad, which I don't think has been spoken about. The advert has been widely criticized from across the political spectrum in the media, right, left. And um, I think even the reports were that Yvette Cooper, the Shadow Home Secretary, was distancing herself um, from the ad. There's been a bit of a split. Some of the Shadow Cabinet couldn't run further from it and trying to distance themselves, some really doubling down. And we'll talk about the doubling down specifically. Mm from Keir Starmer himself. The question for me is, if this Prime Minister hadn't been from South Asian heritage, does this advert get put out? Because it absolutely is in line with what Suela Braverman is saying. Yeah. They both know what they're doing. It's this idea that there is a problem with sexually se- sexually assaulted children and grooming gangs within the South Asian community. Yeah. And for me, it is unforgivable that we have the first prime minister of South Asian heritage, no matter what party he's from, and the Labour Party, the party that claims to be the anti-racist party, is putting something. That is so clearly to me, and anyone who's ever been affected by this sort of stuff, the Islamophobia, the racism, Mm -hmm. is dog-whistle racism.
2: When you say that, that is actually, that's quite emotional. You're right, this is the first prime minister from a South Asian background. Uh, and, and his face is on a poster with with this comment. Actually, what you've just shown is is how this political game it's a spiral to the bottom. Because once the Tories have decided that it's okay to demonise an entire demographic for you know culturally not adhering to British values and wanting to protect children, then it's also okay the opposition to do the same and no one can really claim the moral high ground no one can come out and say oh that's a racist po- poster yeah you know there's no, no voice speaking out against that
1: it's the right ra- it's a race to the bottom i mean i've heard labor i mean since the advert has come out i think the leadership has doubled down on it they said we're not going to pull our punches anymore we are holding them to account the the problem is that this has very r- real world impacts on the rest of us and where is the political courage where is i mean Anyone who's been listening to the show in the last couple of weeks will know that this is a theme I keep picking up on. If our politicians just reflect the very worst of us in these moments, how can we ever expect to lift our society out of racism, out of sexism, out of, you know, some of some of the worst ills? If the Labour Party is going to reflect the worst of British society back simply to win power, then what chance does that leave the rest of us?
2: No, you're right. The politicians are shooting themselves in the foot by playing this game because what they're doing is they're stirring up anger, but they're not addressing any of the root causes of that anger. And so we're just gonna get angrier and angrier and angrier. You know, it, it comes down to this decision or this discovery that politicians have made based on, and this is based on, you know, real focus group work that they've been doing over the past decade and more, that, that it's easier to win over people through tribalism than through actually implementing long-term intelligent policy changes. And so our lives aren't gonna get better as a result of this. I mean, on top of the polarization and the hate crimes and the real rise in radicalization that, that, that we're seeing as a result of this, I'm actually doing an investigation on this on the mm-hmm. next season of the podcast. You, you can actually see far-right extremism and violent terrorism rising as a result yeah. of this. But on top of that, none of the, the root issues that are causing this dissatisfaction are being addressed because politics, is just not about policy anymore.
1: And the bit that bothers me is it's not like there isn't a million and one tap-ins to attack this conservative government on. The NHS has one of the largest waiting times it's ever seen with seven million people strong waiting to get seen by a doctor. We've got the biggest housing crisis we've ever had, Specifically, uh, in in London and urban areas, places like Birmingham, Leeds, and Manchester, we have uh, the police now. There's reports of institutional racism and sexism within the police. There are the economy is is you know if is growing at the slowest rate. Uh, even of Russia, who's been hit by sanctions, mm-hmm. um, and we're now uh, looking to avoid um, a recession. There are a million and one things to attack the Tories about. Mm. Why would you pick this one?
2: Because it makes headlines, you know, <laughs> because uh, because controversy is clickbait. And uh, and yeah, you're right. We could be talking about those things. But, you know, and another I mean, it, it's not that it's not an important issue that that uh, that child sexual abuse is is rife and that we have a terrible criminal justice system when it comes to catering to this problem. That's a real issue that they could criticize. But they're they're saying it's because, you know, Rishi Sunak holds this belief. It's not that, you know, maybe it's because the Tories are too busy pinpointing the blame on British Pakistani men than on their own leadership. But it's definitely not that.
1: I've got no time for Shishuunak whatsoever, yeah. right? I think he's one of the worst prime ministers we've had and are going to have, certainly in my lifetime. Even his most ardent haters and critics wouldn't tell you that he doesn't think convicted sexual uh, children sexual assault people who've convicted of sexually assaulting children shouldn't go to prison. Mm. They wouldn't say that. Well, listen. Now we have uh, another guest. We've got Gurinder Singh Josan, uh, member of the Labour's National Executive Committee and chair of Hope Not Hate joining us. We're going to speak to him after this.
0: Fubar Radio presents...
1: One of my favourite bands all time,
3: it's Drenge. Owen and Rory, how you doing? Hello. Hi, Joey, you are right. What was the first band that you ever was in a mosh pit to? Our teacher's band. He was in a band called Bromhead's Jacket and he was our ICT teacher. I think I was about 14. Pretty heavy going. It was terrifying. Uh, Most of the gig I was off my feet. What kind of an IT teacher is that? Great teacher, yeah. Well, not a great teacher. No, great he was a great, great teacher. Great I think guy. we had like an hour hour long lesson with him once, where he just talked about William Wallace. Yeah, he was pretty chill. Nothing. He literally <laughs> did nothing. There wasn't a lesson plan.
2: Every Wednesday from two p.m. on
3: Foobar Radio. Fubar Radio presents.
4: Ian Bolsworth. Johnny Vegas is in the studio. This morning, I lost twenty minutes thinking, "What would I do if an ostrich came in the <laughs> And that's 20 minutes I'm never getting back. What would you do? My first hint was, I'd try and bring it down. With? My shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) My upper body strength and some laces. Right, okay. Then I thought maybe I'd tie some trainers together and do a... (laughs) (laughs) You know, go for the ankles was hurt. That was hurt, yeah. Bring it down like an hat Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I did manage to capture it, whose neighbour's garden would I let it free (laughs) you? Why must I get stuck with this bloody ostrich? Every Monday...
0: Ian
2: Paltzworth.
1: from 4pm Fubar Radio. Welcome back. Uh, so we have a bit of an issue with Gorinda joining. So he's having some technical issues online. So we're going to get back to him in a second. Matilda, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about this investigation that you're working on than the next series of your amazing podcast.
2: Yes. Yeah, so. On MediaStorm, which is the podcast that I host, we, we try to take a different approach to covering the news. And that is largely by focusing on the testimonies of people with lived experience. Often there are certain groups that are reported on all the time. And yet you never hear their voices in that reporting, whether it's refugees or trans people or people with disabilities. It it's just seems as though the first rule of journalism is, is forgotten these voices are just not included. And so we've done two seasons of that. And and now for our next season, we're branching out into slightly more uncharted territory. And I'm doing an investigation into far right radicalization. So we're speaking to a lot of people who have been radicalized and have been susceptible to that, who have maybe reformed about what, the root causes behind that radicalization are because unless we can actually individualize it we can humanize this discussion we're never really going to get to the bottom of it and one of the most interesting things that I've I've seen are is is the relationship between what is happening in our mainstream political discourse and in our mainstream media and what far-right recruiters are using to actually turn people in towards violent extremism. And that'll come into a lot of what we're talking about on today's shows. Suella Braverman's comments in particular, I don't know if you remember, but in October last year, she decided to call the arrival of small boats on the English Channel an invasion. And exactly at that time, when we saw a spout of polarizing headlines about that, exactly at that time, a man called Andrew Leake made a petrol bomb and launched it into an immigration center in Dover. and. The conversation that didn't happen after that was how did Suella Braverman's and how did the mainstream media's headlines directly cause this terrorist attack? Because there is a digital footprint, and if you trace it, you can see the clear radicalization of Leake, the man who who did this attack, and and how those headlines and that invasion comment fed into it. So we'll be tracing the story of his radicalization in that episode.
1: Amazing. And I'm sure everybody will be looking forward to that. That'll be on the award-winning podcast Media Storm. We are now joined by Gorinda Singh Josan, member of the Labour Party National Executive Committee. Gorinda, thank you so much for joining us via Zoom. We've been talking today about the specifically the 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 advert put out by the Labour Party around convicted um People who've been convicted of ch- sexually assaulting children. I've seen that you have retweeted uh that ad. Do you believe that Rishi Sunak doesn't think that convict people convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison?
4: I do, and and, and I think the well, first of all, thanks Ali for inviting me on. Um, I mean I do. I think um, actions speak louder than words. Uh, Richard Shunak is somebody who was elected to Parliament in, I think, 2015. Most of his career, most of that time, he's been uh, in ministerial office and and most of that time in very high ministerial office, including currently Prime Minister. Um, And voters, I think, generally agree that adults uh, who are convicted of uh, sexual abuse against children should go to prison. And voters expect their elected representatives and those in government to Put the policies in place to ensure that that does happen Uh, and voters expect the the opposition uh, to hold the government to account Uh, and that's what the Labour party is doing
1: look i think there's a clear difference between the conviction rates and holding the party and the prime minister to account on the conviction rates and then an advert that says he personally doesn't think that people convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison in the same way i don't think anybody would say, you know, that Rishi Sunak doesn't think people who are sick should see a doctor. You can certainly criticize him on the waiting lists of the NHS, but there's nobody saying that Rishi Sunak doesn't think that people who are sick should see a doctor. In what way is it acceptable to say that the Prime Minister doesn't personally believe that people convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison. It's it's a completely different thing to talk about conviction rates. And I would be with you if you were criticizing that. But this is a personal attack, saying that the prime minister doesn't believe that these people should be convicted. Oh, should we go, go to prison?
4: I don't think you, can, you know when you're prime minister of the country. You I don't think you can divorce your or separate out your own personal beliefs from what you from the policies you are enacting. Um, you know you're there. To prime minister or whatever high office you hold in a government, I don't think it's possible to separate your own personal police from that. Now, at the end of the day, this is what voters want to see, uh, and if the government isn't delivering on it, you know, actions speak louder than words, and and um, the Tories can they can talk about crime, they can talk 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 a good talk on it, but if they're not delivering um, uh, and they're, and they're leaving people suffering um, at the hands of criminals that they're, they're not delivering justice, a uh, decent uh, uh, criminal justice system, they're not delivering on that, then that has to come back to what they personally believe. It's in a government is about making choices, uh, and it's about putting funding and resources where you believe they should be should, you know, where, where they should be going. And that's that's the job of of the Prime Minister and in the pre- previous role as Chancellor. He's had the biggest responsibility for that. And if he's not putting resources where they need to be going, then we can have an academic argument about or discussion about uh, conviction rates, but at the end of the day come back to what he personally believes. And if you he, if he's not putting the resources and, and, and carrying out the action that need to take place to deliver uh, the, the the policies that people want on this, then then you have to put it down to what he personally believes.
1: So look, one of the things we've been talking about on the show today is um the the issue of racism within our politics and you know everything from swella Braverman's coming around British Pakistani men and grooming gangs the the topic of predominantly people from the South Asian community but Muslims as well specifically on Islamophobia of child grooming uh, has been a conspiracy that has been long-running do you think it's responsible for the Labour Party to put out an ad that says the Prime Minister the first Prime Minister of South Asian heritage doesn't believe that people convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison, in the wake of what is a widely shared conspiracy that people from the South Asian community, Muslims specifically, have an issue on this on the uh, have a problem on this issue.
4: I mean, I don't associate, I don't, I don't link the two together. Um, I I think it is absolutely right that whatever the background of the prime minister and, and ministers, that they should be held. To account in the same robust way, regardless of their their ethnic background. Absolutely agree with that. I think that's the the challenge here is you're absolutely right that this widespread perception uh, and belief that that one particular community is responsible for child sexual exploitation. And yet, you know, all the figures published uh, by the police and other agencies show that's not the case at all. and indeed in the last just in the last week or so we've seen two big cases come to court where there have been uh several or many uh, in, uh i think well over a dozen uh um uh people in the dock uh, but surely uh, i mean look you dock, and none of them were, were, were from safe grinda you say you so don't, don't you say you don't see,
1: associate you, the two things together unfortunately there are too many people in the public who do and so People like myself, we've been talking about it earlier, every time I put out a tweet or put out something, I get the grooming gang stuff accused, thrown at me underneath my tweet. And so the the type of, type of political discourse we have has an impact on on the everyday lives of people in this country. And so in the context where Suella Braverman is, is saying the disgusting things that she's saying, the Labour Party, who we have such a higher standard of, and the party that I have loved and been a part of, putting out something that associates the first... Uh, Prime Minister from South Asian background to sexual assault of children is surely irresponsible. Well,
4: I'm, I'm not, I, mean, I don't see why. I mean, we still have to hold people to account. The, 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 of course, look, electric, we, we can hold people to account to but, but we do don't
1: that. have to say they personally don't believe that people who've been convicted of sexually assaulting children shouldn't go to prison. That That's a personal I mean, position, a personal belief that the Prime Minister holds.
4: Like, like I said earlier, is, is I don't think you can separate out his personal beliefs from from the policies he's in, he's enacting. Um, uh, and you know, the, the policies he's enacting, he has he's as Prime Minister, a previous Chancellor, he's had the most two the most in, in the land and able to influence policy, resources, and stuff. And if he's not putting those in in in, in, in you know uh, manipulating those, and making the choices and the t- the decision. To make sure that people who are convicted of, of uh, uh, adults who are convicted of sexual abuse against children are going to prison then that has to be down to his personal beliefs and can, his personal can i jump thing.
2: jump in there because I, I think you make a really good point when you know you, you say action speak louder than word words and intent is not irrelevant and and honestly do i think that that conservative leaders care about protecting children from abuse, not more than I think they care about protecting their positions in power. And and I think that that is proven by their actions. There's policies like the latest immigration uh, law, which literally bars sex trafficking victims from changing... Tra- from claiming modern slavery protections because they were brought into the country illegally, so yeah, actions do say that they this isn't a priority to them. But but why why pin this on Rishi Sunak's belief? Because because we've you know what happens if okay this this campaign uh, comes to its full realization and and Rishi Sunak is kicked out because everyone thinks that he doesn't care about protecting children from abuse. You know we've seen more conservative leaders this last year than we've seen. People entering King's Landing, like it is bloody Game <laughs> of Thrones out there. And what does it actually achieve? Like, do you really think that that a strategy like this will ha- help to bring forward the necessary policy changes to actually address this issue? Like, will it help?
4: Well, look, no, the, 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 uh, you, you might expect me to say this, but I absolutely believe that the only way we're going to see any real policy change by electing the Labour government and we can't have a general election soon enough.
2: But then um, isn't, isn't be- is is aren't you saying there that, that, that this is a political strategy and maybe it's a justified political strategy in your eyes if, if if you know it's necessary to bring in a Labour government in order to see change. But are you kind of admitting there that actually the goal of this campaign is is just to oust the conservative, you know, government? It's it's not, not really in, it doesn't really have integrity in in the claims that it's making about Rishi Sunak. It's a political
4: game. Well, no, it, 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 it's more than that. It, 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 the, the entire purpose of the existence of the Labour Party is to is to is to is to win power in the country and to bring forward policies and change at any in, at any in, price in, in line with the values that we hold. And, and as part of that, yes, there has to be political strategy, and you have to have a robust conversation, and you have to also make sure that your message gets across to, to the electorate. Uh, and one thing that this this, this campaign has certainly done is got gotten this message across to the electorate in a way that other messages haven't in recent time. Yeah, yeah a lot of I this, can't you know, disagree with that. Yeah, and, and you know, so it but it's, it's it's pretty some message that's resonating with voters and voters you know do do understand. they uh, they, they do they do understand, they do know what they want from their elected uh, representatives and they do expect yeah. them to deliver for they do yeah. to have
1: the There's no doubt that the message has got out. <laughs> over twenty million yeah. people have seen the advert. Um I guess the question is is from a moral perspective how far are you willing to go to get that message out yeah i remember when boris johnson made his comment about muslim women and we saw the rise in islamophobia not just online but violence on the street grinda do you have no worries that the kind of people who are spreading this dangerous conspiracy theories around grooming gangs and sexually assault of white girls specifically that target south asian men and Muslims specifically, are you not worried this is going to have the same kind of impact? We've seen people attacked on the way home from mosques. If we have other instances like that, a rise in hate crimes, something like that happening, is that not going to sit on the conscience of the Labour Party?
4: Well, we haven't seen that, and normally in in the past when there have been incidents, which... uh, Well, we
1: have. This Ramadan specifically, we've seen a Muslim man attacked on his way home from a mosque.
4: Yeah, but they're not on the scale that that uh, in, in previous on previous occasions when there have been incidents and and, and things which have which have uh, triggered a response, the, the rise in hate crime has been quite steep. But the scale but then, is irrelevant,
1: Grinda. One uh, is
4: too many. Well, ev- everyone is too many, but that's not you know the the the, the, the purpose of this campaign. I don't think you can complete the two. I think there will be people who will use any opportunity to attack the Muslim community. There are people like that in our society, unfortunately, and every single thing that they can find, they will use that to attack the Muslim community. My, my, my approach to this is actually, we need to be more robust and more, more forthcoming and the media needs to be certainly helping on this is, is to actually really put, to put out the real. And, and the real evidence about where uh, the, the, the perpetrators of child sexual abuse and, 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 uh, and exploitation who they really are. And actually the more we can do on that and probably you know the, the, the case in the last week um, absolutely demonstrates you got a large number of people in, in court for, for this kind of crime uh, and not a single one of them had brown skin. Uh, or from from point you know, to background and and yet that doesn't get the headline and and that's what we, you know, we do need to do to no but but this but does also- get the
2: headlines and labor the 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 people who designed this ad campaign they did it because they know it does get the headlines and and it's this there 's this drip drip build up, this impression associating South Asian men with child molestation, and this actively strategically plays on that. In order to gain Labour a few points, I mean, d- I arguably, I,
4: dis- I disagree. I mean, the, the, the contradiction in what, what you guys are just saying there is: on the one hand, this is this is all targeted at the Muslim community, and it is, you know, that's where that's where all the attacks going to towards the Muslim community, and the people who who are used who would use this to attack the Muslim community are very specific in who they attack, and the fact that this is a Hindu prime minister or, or a prime minister of a Hindu background, everything. Um, it, 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 you know, I think people people understand the difference. Um, but the point here is, is that that isn't the basis on which the attack is happened. Yeah. People, I, I mean, look, people I, are going to attack the Western community. They're going to do that on any. any unfa- unfortunately,
1: I'm not. I'm not. You know, good people will, but I'm not sure racists distinguish between. Muslims, Sikh, and Hindu. No, I, I think they they I agree. I agree. racists don't, don't make that distinction. Grinda, I, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Uh, I'm really sorry. I do appreciate you coming on. I'm really appreciative that you've come and spoken to us. I know. I'm sure you must have had a a, a very busy day. So I'm um I'm grateful that you've uh, made the time to speak to us. That was Gorinda Singh Josan, member of the Labour National Executive Committee. Coming up next, uh, we have. Uh, Faria Ali, a trustee for the British Pakistani Foundation, who will talk to us about an open letter that was written to the Prime Minister calling for the Home Secretary to withdraw her remarks regarding British Pakistani men and grooming gangs. She will be joining us in the studio after this.
2: FUBAR Radio presents...
1: Michael
3: Payne and Marcel Somerville.
1: We've got a legend of Ealing. Andrew Levy from the Brand New
3: Heavies.
4: How Hi, guys.
3: What was, what was it like working with Mr. Ronson? It took me a year to realise that if I write him an email that's longer than seven words, <laughs> including not having my name underneath it or a hello <laughs> on the top, he will never reply. <laughs> so it took me you a year. You worked out to the exact yeah. size of yeah. seven words. Seven only. words. <laughs> Where's the song? That's brilliant. Anytime <laughs> <Exactly.
1: laughs> <I'm going to laughs> soon.
3: <laughs> Nick Hellman, Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club. Joined in the studio by
4: Inky Oliver, and we're discussing <laughs> fart jokes. Was... Favorite fart jokes? if you got any favorite fart jokes? <laughs> by all means, right into. I've been the panel. <laughs> hashtag. hashtag well, I've like, got a fart like, for you. Yeah,
1: considering <laughs> I hate them, well, I'm really talking about them a lot. I really yeah. hate
4: acknowledging the yeah, anyway. So I saw a filmed insert with the band McFly, and right. they're in like a limo or something, oh, chatting. Yeah. And one of them farted. And it just really made me laugh. No, 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 no. no. I don't like a cartoon fart thing. (laughs) I like a fart joke where it appears like someone shot themselves or something. (laughs) Ian Boldsworth. A
1: perfect run in that was to speak with Rob Schneider. First
4: time I ever heard the C word
3: out loud. I mean, I knew that it existed. Yeah. Then when I was 13, my first trip to London, England. And like, within 45 seconds of being in the country, I had heard the word about 90 times. Yeah. Somebody on a double-decker bus had taken somebody else's seat. Yeah. The next thing you know, I said, you fucking cunt. <laughs> you slotty cunt. You yeah. know,
4: you are, your fucking cunt. Yeah. Like...
3: Tuesday Takeover. My name's Josh from the Skins. I'm joined by Holly Cook and Jamie Rodigan in hey. the studio right now. Yo, yo. So, Holly, you were out with Kaiser Chiefs. sir. So that's <laughs> an absolute <Yeah>. mazza.
0: <laughs> I can tell you that I don't
2: think that Kaiser Chiefs fans really understand Holly Cook. But you've
1: done supports as well. Sometimes it is just a bit weird
3: Like the bigger the band that you're opening up for, the harder it is. You open up for someone that's like in the charts, and it's like we have come to yeah. see this
0: band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fans We've come to see this yeah, band.
3: Do. <laughs> they don't care do you about think anyone? you are?
4: You're listening to Food Bar Radio. Food Bar
2: Radio. Food Bar Radio. Food
4: Bar Radio. Food Bar Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Politics Uncensored. I am your host, Ali Malani, and I'm joined by my co-host uh, this week, Matilda Mallinson. And now we have Faria Ali, trustee for the British Pakistani Foundation. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for having me. We're talking specifically today about an open letter to the prime minister um, that has been written by the British Pakistani Foundation, calling for the Home Secretary to withdraw her remarks regarding British Pakistani men and grooming gangs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this open letter?
0: The open letter came about actually off the back of a number of conversations that each of the members of the British Pakistan Foundation's board have had with members of the community. And there's a real strength of feeling in terms of, first of all, that the the comments are incorrect, but also, um, you know, even if there was some iota of truth to these, it's just not the approach that you'd expect from a responsible Home Secretary to put out s- comments which then create their own problems in terms of demonising and stigmatising an entire community. What you'd expect, actually, is comments which are more constructive, aimed at fixing the problem, rather than taking an entire community and scapegoating it in the way that the British Pakistani community feels it has been. Yeah. So, so the letters really came out of the strength of feeling of members of the British Pakistani community who are members of the British Pakistan Foundation and there are 18,000 of them, yeah. um, but also I think out of the strength of feeling personally that the trustees have around the comments that have been made.
1: I think what people might not realize is before Suella Braverman made this comment, um, those who aren't personally affected by it might not know, but there is an undercurrent that has been existent for years in this country mm. of this conspiracy that British Pakistani men are targeting white, young white girls. Yeah. And Suella Braverman knows what she's doing when she makes the comments that she makes. Do you believe that with these comments and their record over the past 18 months or so, Swella Braverman, Rishi Sunak are mainstreaming what has been far-right, racist, conspiratorial views that previously had been locked away in the darkest sections of the internet?
0: Look, I don't know about the broader strategy here, but I've spent some time looking into this specific issue. And in this instance, yes, absolutely they are. It's not, you know, us putting this letter out there isn't going to mean that the Home Secretary is suddenly surprised that her comments are actually factually incorrect. There are reports from the Home Office which mm. contradict yeah. what Suella Brahmann Brock- Well, she was quoted said.
1: that in the interview as That's she right. was making the comments.
0: That's right. So the fact that these comments are being made uh, is not because she's not aware of what the facts are. There's something else going on here. And to my mind, actually, that is around distracting from the real issue. Because there are half a million children in the UK who get sexually abused every year. And that, in some part, is down to the fact that there have been all of these cuts which have been made by the Conservative government, which mean that actually these victims, first of all, don't get the support that they need when they might flag that there's an issue going on, but also don't get the support that they need and deserve uh, you know, once actually the, the, the crime is uncovered. That obviously is a very inflammatory issue and one way of dealing with it is just to distract from it by, by using another community as a scapegoat. What I'd quickly add on that is doing that is repeating mistakes of the past because there's been plenty of instances before where you take a problem that deserves nuance, evidence, qualification, you oversimplify it, you, uh, you put the blame at the door of you know an entire community and suddenly it's serving or being punished for the mistakes of a couple within that community.
4: Do you
1: think that this, what kind of impacts do you think this has, real-world impacts on the British-Pakistani community, these comments? I
0: can talk to you about myself personally. So I think as a British-Pakistani, it makes me feel exposed, it makes me feel vulnerable, fearful even. So I'm, I'm a corporate lawyer by day. I don't follow the ins and outs and the ups and downs of politics. But for me, something like this is is something that I have to come out and, and you know voice my concern and disappointment over because I feel all of the things that I've just described. I'm fearful for, for my loved ones, my brother, my father, my husband, because these are all men yeah. who are now the face of this crime
1: that's that's one thing in today's show I think we've been myself and Matilda have been speaking about is real world impacts yeah. so the worry is that you know I have friends. Family members, and I've seen online people telling their dads, their granddads, don't walk ho- don't walk home from the masjid, to from the mosque, by yourself at night, because of these comments have inflamed, you know, yeah. what might be a rise in political violence.
2: Yeah, and. It I mean it's it's so good that here on, on Politics on Sense that you're you're doing that and you're platforming this first hand lived experiences because I'm not really seeing that happen in the media and this is a chronic problem. Actually on MediaStorm, our second episode that we ever did it was on anti Asian hate in the UK. It's my co host, Helena Wadia's mm-hmm. part of the South Asian British community. And and we would see this problem with all the media coverage of these issues. It never includes the voices of the people who actually have to deal with the fallout. Voices like, you know, like you were just saying, I can speak from personal experience. Mm-hmm. But what the media does is, is and politi- politicians have learned this, is the more hateful, the more viral and the more controvers- controversial the comment they say, the more traction it gets. You know, even if the headline is saying, oh, you know, Sweller-Broverman criticised for saying this comment that comment is still getting circulated in the headlines and i wonder whether whether you place any blame with the british media i don't think that we've learned the media has learned to to report on problematic statements without just amplifying them
0: there is some blame to lay at the, at the door of the media on this because i think for me the problem around all of this the, the broader sort of hateful rhetoric whether it comes from the home secretary or whether it comes from the media sort of giving traction to that and amplifying it, is, you know, it goes back to the point I made earlier. We're just not learning from past mistakes. These are not comments made in a vacuum where somebody, you know, says something slightly irresponsibly and it stops there. These have real-world damaging consequences. There are countless examples, both here in the UK and further afield, of this ethnicity narrative, which has been perpetuated by the Home Secretary's comments, leading to concrete violent hate crime so there was an example of an 81 year old gentleman somewhere in sheffield who shortly after the incident in rotherham was um murdered Uh, and he was murdered you know because whoever did it was was upset about what had happened in rotherham with those specific individuals and chose to take his anger out on somebody completely innocent that's here in the uk yeah Similarly, you go to somewhere like New Zealand, the massacre that happened in Christchurch there a number of years ago, the gunman's Hmm. ammunition had four Rotherham written on it. So, you know, it's not like these comments are made and, you know, it stops there. It doesn't. It has real world consequences.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: For people, you you know, that somebody loves.
2: And it's not founded in fact; it's founded in fiction. It's founded in a complete distortion of the truth.
1: And and the politicians know what they're doing. And this is the, this is the bit that, that that I find really gets to me emotionally is because of their incompetence in government, they're now plunging the gov- the country further and further right, down into the depths of racism and sexism and misogyny in in everything that they've been saying, particularly in the last six months, just so they can cling to power. I mean, you spoke specifically in the earlier interview about this is about, isn't about conviction rates or anything like that, it's about them holding on to power and they know what they're doing. Um, for, Faria, last question I have for you is, you've written this open letter, I'm not gonna hold my breath and assume that the Prime minister has gotten back to you. Mm. What do you think the appropriate steps would be? What, should, it, should Rishi Sunak sack the Home Secretary for her comments?
0: Look, I think the comments are part of something broader. And, uh, and the Home Secretary's ability to deal with what her mandate is. But on this specific issue, what we would like is either for the comments to be substantiated, which, for good reason, we don't think they can be, or for the comments to be withdrawn and and for there to be an apology. And more, uh, more importantly, in some senses than that, what we need is engagement with the British-Pakistani community on these issues, because... If we're going to live or if we are attempting to, to, to continue living in a multicultural healthy society what you can't have is elements or pockets within that feeling either overlooked or worse actively targeted and so there needs to be something done to retract those comments at the very least from the prime minister if you ca- if you can't have the comments retracted for him for he himself to, to distance himself from the yeah. comments that have been made.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. That was Fariya Ali, trustee for the British Pakistani Foundation. Uh, the British Pakistani Foundation have written an op- open letter to the Prime Minister on the Home Secretary's comments, and you can find that online. Earlier today, I spoke to Tom O'Grady, an Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of College London. I asked Tom what his views were on how Labour and the Tories have been seemingly having a race to the bottom with their campaign, from Suella Braverman's comments to Labour's ad campaign.
3: Well, I think, um, like most people involved in analysing politics, I found both sets of comments very depressing. It, I think a race to the bottom is the right word. I mean, I think the, the Starmer ad, if I can start with that one, is kind of depressing on three levels. It's depressing, first of all, because the claim made in the advert is just factually inaccurate and silly. I don't think anyone really believes that Rishi Sunak is actually against imprisoning people for a child sexual assault. So the claim itself is silly and it's cheap. Second of all, I think it distracts from the actual argument that Labour could be making, which is about austerity, cuts to policing, the fact that large amounts of crime has effectively been decriminalised in this country, which are doing a very bad job at tackling crime. So there's an argument to be made there, but they're not making that could be linked to austerity. And I think third of all, it just massively undercuts what is Keir Starmer's selling point, which is about integrity in the wake of party gate and so on. So I think it's bad politics as well as being very cheap. Mm -hmm. And then on the Sola Braverman comments, I mean, once again, wildly factually inaccurate, Um, all all measures of this type of crime suggest that there's not a disproportionate amount of child sex abuse being done by ethnic minorities. And the idea that like the British police who, if they're anything, are probably somewhat institutionally racist, are not going to tackle this kind of crime. Just, again, seems cheap and silly. So I think both points raised to the bottom is, is the right way to describe it. I think both sets of comments are aimed at capturing or recapturing the kind of socially conservative, working class, White red wall voters in the last election, and you know, the story of 2019 was really that the Conservatives managed to capture a whole lot of those voters in exactly the right places at the right time with the Brexit message, and that won them the election. And they want to get that group back, and they're doing it with social authoritarian messaging. Those voters are a bit more socially authoritarian. At exactly the same time, Labour, I think, is very afraid that that group, who currently say to pollsters, either I'm not sure who I'm going to vote for, or I'm kind of thinking about Labour, Labour are afraid that that group are going to shift back to the Conservatives, and they think that they have to capture that same group by using the
1: same discourse. Do you think Labour are at risk of losing, so by reaching to that demographic or that group of voters who they perceive as liking this kind of messaging, I assume that's what the, the perception is, do you think they're at risk of losing some of their more traditional voter bases who might not want to see this kind of campaigning?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think what Labour needs to do is hold together a coalition of kind of uh, often young, ethnically diverse urban voters uh, in places like London, Manchester, etc. And the coalition they need to regain or move into in places like um, the north of England, but also Wales and Scotland, where in certain places people are more authoritarian. So, yeah, there's a real risk that some of the voters, uh, you know, some of them were ethnically diverse, left-wing voters just stay at home and i think there's also a bigger risk which is that an election that's fought on crime who can be more authoritarian than whom is an election that Labour doesn't want to fight and shouldn't try to fight because t- an election where you're trying to out authoritarians to other men, <laughs> like to me, just doesn't seem like um, a sensible election strategy for Labour. And I think the more Labour spends, the more time Labour spends talking about those issues, the, the more danger is that they play into exactly what the Conservatives want, which is an yeah. election basically fought over the same types of issues that 2019 was fought over, like yeah. Brexit. I think what Labour should be doing is, is trying to move on to austerity, the economy, addressing the cost of living, which can be linked to crime, as I've talked about, but can be linked perhaps in cleverer ways, yeah. I think.
1: I remember the Hillary Clinton campaign against Donald Trump. And the worry then, and some of the criticisms that then, were that she was picking fights on issues that Trump was just going to go further than her on, and she wasn't, she couldn't win those fights. And the worry is, is, exactly like you're saying for Labour, if you pick fights in the way that you're doing, you're never going to out, like you say, authoritarian, Sweller braverman. And surely, you know, there are so many issues that Labour could pick on, like the NHS, like housing, all these issues. Why are they going for this one? Is it just purely, you know, there must be some focus group somewhere that's telling them that this is the issues that maybe people in the north or maybe some of the don't knows, like you said, are... are interested in or passionate about? What's what's the political reasoning here? I mean, it's always difficult to get into
3: the minds of politicians and their aides, but I think that they they are genuinely convinced that they have to capture this group of more white, working-class, social authoritarian voters in certain areas, and that they can't do that just mm-hmm. by talking about the economy or just by talking about housing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I that, have to
1: think that's wrong. Is there any evidence? Because there's this constant conversation that... The the white working class northern voters are maybe more socially conservative, maybe are more authoritarianism on issues like policing and, and immigration, things like that. Is there any evidence to support that?
3: Yeah, I, I think that is broadly true. I don't I don't think that's wrong. It doesn't mean that you're gonna win an election by trying to be more authoritarian than the conservatives on crime and law and order. I just think that's an election you're gonna lose in exactly the same way that Hillary Clinton was gonna lose by mm-hmm. trying to be you know, tougher than um, Trump on immigration or something like that. Labour's gonna win an election that's focused on you've had 13 years and what have you done uh, the country's falling apart, you can't get a doctor's appointment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the election that I think they should be trying to to run. And I, I, I personally think it's poor
1: politics what yeah. they're doing at the moment. So let's bring this back to the real life examples because often I think politics is contained either on the Sunday morning programs or on Twitter. But the things that we put out, the things that politicians say have impacts in the quote unquote real world. We have seen two MPs, murdered uh, in recent years. We have seen, you know, I think people from the South Asian communities uh, attacked and murdered on the way back from mosques, for example, and we've seen a rise in political violence in the country. Every time we see these sparks in violence, there is consensus across the political board that we need to lower the temperature, we need to watch our discourse, and then we forget it in, in, in a couple of years and go right back to the dirty politics that has has caused the context in which political violence—it's certainly been a variable in the rise in political violence—is that a concern? You think the the real-world impacts of ads like this, comments like uh, Suella Braverman's?
3: Yeah, I I do, and I think there's a there's a broader point here, which is that an election that's fought on things like immigration or on moral issues is an election where. It's very hard to kind of compromise or to talk about degrees or to talk about we can give you a little bit of what you want but not everything you want. You're kind of, you know, you're kind of either for the death penalty or not for the death penalty. You're for really tough sentences or you're not for really tough sentences. It's hard to reach moral compromise in the same way that you can compromise by maybe saying, well, maybe we, won't, maybe we won't raise taxes by as much as you want, but we'll raise them by a little bit and we can meet somewhere in the middle. It's much harder to meet in the middle on moral issues. And so there is just a more inflammatory nature to these political issues that I think does make them more dangerous. And, and, and Brexit as well, is, you know, with... With, with what happened during that campaign there, there really are deep sort of moral intuitions that people have about these that get in the way i think of a more reasoned discourse yeah. so yeah i think there absolutely is a danger with this
1: so you're pretty non-partisan i mean I i'm sure you have your political positions but but you're not uh, strictly party political if you had both party leaderships listening to you right now and you had one call to them on this issue of of dirty politics what would you say to them Gosh, that's a good question. I just think
3: remember that what you say has more influence than you might think on the public. Like the the public doesn't think about politics very much from day to day. To be perfectly honest, people don't talk about politics as much in their yeah. daily lives as people like you <laughs> yeah. and me. And what you say matters. And y- you know, you have a choice about whether to conduct yourselves with integrity and decency or, or, or not. And you know, I think history will remember Boris Johnson as someone who had an 80 seat majority and won an election and then completely screwed it up by really immoral behavior and party gate. And again, you have the same choice. Keir Starmer has that choice right now. Do you go for the Keir Starmer who's a man of integrity, who is much more moral than Boris Johnson, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, or do you go for the sort of bizarre Keir Starmer we saw this week who's willing to endorse this, this silly, cheap political ad? I just think that you have a choice about what kind of
1: politician you want to be, and, and I would say make that choice. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was Tom O'Grady, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of College London. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. So we've had a live text uh, from a from a Labour Party member who's listening in live. Uh, Andrew Smith has said, What disgusts me most is that we have two MPs murdered in recent years and they're fueling racism and hate simply for votes. It's abhorrent. Matilda, what would you say about this? They have a choice to make. You know, politicians have a choice to make about what kind of politician they want to be, what kind of discourse they endorse in the country, and what kind of society they build as part of that.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, it's a great... <laughs> it's. A- it's a great question because you would like to think that people who go into political leadership, at least some people who go into political leadership, do it because they want to make things better. They want to make change and they see that as, as a vehicle to do that. Obviously, there are also going to be people who go into politics because they like power and they want to get into places of power. And the question being, or oh, what kind of politician do you want to be? But... It makes me wonder how free are politicians to make that choice? You know, do we have does the blame lie with politicians who fail to make the right choice or does it lie with the system that rewards politicians who have bad motivations? You know, do politicians that have principles that are there for their constituents that want to take moral leadership and say things that are countering harmful comments even if they may not be the sexy thing to say you know who want to actually have a backbone when it comes to yeah, I think moral our, leadership you our, know do will they ever get off the back benches
1: unfortunately it's an issue of talent so and the fact that they don't have the talent they just need to reflect the very worst things that they hear back from the focus groups we reached out to the community so as we do most weeks uh we went out onto the streets and asked our, our general public one question if there was a general election tomorrow who would you vote for
4: how reluctantly he actually vote for the Conservatives. They are the least antagonising, annoying, and disjointed party. The others, especially the Labour Party, just want to be as bitchy as anything.
3: Um, Yeah, I'd vote for Labour more because they represent our demographic a lot better. Conservatives sort of present a more capitalist-driven economy which sort of represents them a lot better and it creates, like, a precedent for, like, not helping the lower classes and people with less fortunate ability to rise up through those ranks. It sort of creates a segregated society um, and in voting for Labour doing so, hoping that the ideology that's perpetuated changes. Because you can't vote for Keir Starmer because he's just politically incorrect. Uh, yeah, conservative because just I uh, I think they've got a better plan as it were. For
2: Keir Starmer um, and the Labour Party. I just feel like the Tories have had too long of a reign, um, and I think we're ready for a fresh perspective here.
3: Anyone but Starmer.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd vote Labour because the Tories are scumbags and. Um, I just want to get them out and uh, get back to normal. Labour. Be- because I'm sick of this government. Conservatives.
3: Um, I'd vote Labour, but I think really it boils down to just looking at the events that have transpired over the past six years. I just can't see how so many, like, fuck-ups within the Conservative Party can lead to people not voting Labour. I think people just need to give them a chance, see how it goes, and then you
1: can reevaluate after that. Uh, green because the rest is shit. <laughs> <laughs> Matilda, very quickly in thirty seconds, your reaction to that—that that was a bit more balanced than I thought. I thought we'd get more Labour. Yeah, in no, London.
2: interesting, and maybe that's why Starmer's taking this radical new tack. Maybe Labour, maybe Labour are scared. Maybe we need to listen to, to this like strategy change. Uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting that someone thought the Conservatives were the least bitchy and fa- and factional party of the choices. Maybe maybe Sunak has has done a better job than predicted at, at, at uniting the party after the chaos. Our fo- of the yeah,
1: party. our focus group here on FUBAR. Radio Politics Uncensored has found that the Labour are too bitchy and Conservatives are scumbags. There you have it. Breaking (laughs) news. Thank you so much, Matilda, for joining us on what's been an amazing episode. We've been able to talk about some really, really important issues. I want to thank all of our guests. Gurinder Singh Josan uh, from the Labour NEC and Chair of Hope Not Hate, Faria Ali, Trustee of the British Pakistani Foundation and of course Tom O'Grady, Associate Professor of Political Science at UCL. Thank you all for listening and joining us. You can follow us on FUBAR Radio and at Politics Uncensored on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. Salams.